It's a party. It is. There are three of us. Yeah. Another party episode. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Adam. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. I think you get mentioned on this podcast more than anybody else. I think Steve's up there, too. But yeah, yeah, I do enjoy listening and listening for the Adam Wathen reference, <laughs> the inevitable Adam reference. <laughs> it's always a little treat to hear your name on somebody else's podcast. For sure. It's like, ooh, that's cool. Talk more about me. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe that's just me. Let's talk about some stuff. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. This is flowing so smoothly. It's always awkward when there's three people in the room and you're like, who's supposed to respond? (laughs) We're trying to roll with that method of like, rather than like just interview the guest, talk about what we're doing, talk about what you're doing and keep it kind of like as if you're just another Ben or Derek. Yeah. As opposed to a special. Yeah, I like the idea because like for me, I work by myself kind of sucks in an isolating sort of way. So being able to just like come chat with other people about the stuff that they're working on and not have it be like, what's your life story? What are you working on now? Blah, blah, blah. You know, just being able to have like almost like a recorded mastermind session or something is kind of fun and uh, also rewarding. Nice. That's cool. Well, let's mastermind then. I can uh, go first. So I, I launched yesterday our uh, pair programming guide which so I, I i got a nice like vanity domain learn to pair.com which is matt style for a suggestion because i was like oh like go check out tuple.app slash pair dash programming dash guide which has like nice seo-ness to it and like i want it on our domain and i want that like phrase in the url but it was like annoying to talk about and he's like get a better domain and i was like oh okay so i got learn to pair.com that just redirects over to that which i think is a reasonable thing to do that's like not super confusing or like google's gonna hate me or something i mean it's just like having a bitly link or something right just better so yeah i think that's cool yeah okay cool so that's what i did and it's live i actually published another post today which is cool um had a bunch of people thank me on twitter which is always a nice feeling we're like thanks for the content uh which is nice and it's definitely still like in progress i wouldn't say it's awesome yet but there's already some some stuff there that i think is pretty good and i'm excited to keep adding to it i was glad to see that you shipped it probably like earlier than you were comfortable with because i think that's what we're all supposed to be doing right but it's kind of the hardest thing sometimes to actually do it so that's good yeah, there's there's like five articles on there right now. And like, I just kept thinking of more things I wanted to add before launching. And I was like, if I don't like just get this out there, it's, this is I'm just gonna always find another excuse not to ship this. Also, it would be nice if people were saying like, hey, like, can you write about this? And then when I write about that thing, it's it's the best thing to write about. So I just decided to pull the trigger, even though I was like, kind of like, this is sort of a shell at this point, but that's okay, I think. So you think the response has been pretty good so far to this piece of content? Yeah, it's been decent. I wouldn't say it like caused an earthquake on the internet, but I also only tweeted about it. I haven't emailed people about it and I haven't done much other promotion yet. Um, so it's kind of, I haven't done that much on my side yet. And also, like I said, it's like a work in progress. So I wouldn't be shocked if people weren't blown away by it yet. That's kind of the challenge with working in public sometimes is there's a big benefit to just being able to just like drop some awesome thing done because like it gets a lot of attention. But there's so many benefits to working in public too that it's sort of hard to balance that sometimes so i don't know it'd be interesting to figure out if there's a way to keep launching it you know what i mean and try and like like maybe one day you post it on product hunt or something when you feel like it there's actually like enough there for it to feel like a pretty comprehensive thing 
it's like when someone's building something and the GitHub repo is there and you can go look if you want to, but it's not necessarily being like actively shoved in people's faces as like this polished thing that's like ready for everyone's eyeballs. Mm-hmm. So one benefit to me of launching it early is that when I add new things to it, I can tell people about it. It's so like that gives me something to send to like the tuple launch list, for example, as opposed to not doing that. But you do you do lose that splash for sure. But so maybe I can say like, oh, version one is done and try to make that like its own thing and say like V1, we're here uh, or something like that. Yeah, I've definitely seen like there's a lot of advantages to being able to constantly remind people about something that you're doing without it just being like, hey, I'm reminding you that I'm still doing this thing. Like it's nice to be able to just have people notice, oh yeah, that thing's still going on and there's this new thing that Ben was able to talk about without looking like a pushy jerk or something. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, so it's nice to have that out the door even though it's not done, but uh, that feels good. I'm pretty psyched about some of the content on there already, actually. Uh, like I, I just put a post out today or an article, I'm thinking of it as, uh, on actual scientific research into the benefits of pair programming. And there's not that much, but I did find some interesting results and might be some good ammunition as people are like trying to sell that to their team or their boss. So I'm starting to collect some stuff that I haven't seen as much of on the internet. Like I don't want to just like rewrite the same yeah. pairing blog posts. So I'm doing more research. It's kind of neat that uh, there's stuff here that goes back as far as like 96, 98. Like when did like the extreme programming book come out? That was probably the first time that I think like pair programming was sort of given a name and sort of kind of really pushed out there and anything that would have attracted any attention. Yeah, I think that was like 2000 or so. Yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, it's interesting that people were trying this before it was a named thing and then like writing up their experiences and even tracking it, which is which is the hard thing. Like there's if you want to just like share anecdotal evidence, there's tons of that. Um, and that doesn't mean it's not useful, but I was, I was, I was looking for something where someone tried to do some science and there's way less of that, but I collected what I could find. Cool. I listen to your podcast all the time, of course. And I know, um, last episode you were kind of talking a bit about how you were struggling to figure out whether you should be focusing on like marketing stuff or product stuff. How are you feeling about that this week? You're still feeling like pushing on marketing related things feels like the right place to be. I do, yeah. I mean, like so, Spencer and Joel are deep in the weeds on product stuff. They are heading down uh, the C plus plus alley right now, and so they're like cramming C plus plus into their brains as quickly as possible. The approach keeps changing. <laughs> we just keep getting lower and lower level. Where it's like the first thing we did was Electron, and it was like, all right, we got to go deeper. And then we get to like Swift, it's like we got to go deeper. So it's just getting more and more hardcore. I think the same point holds, which is that there are three of us. And so to have us all work on the same thing seems to be a waste in a certain sense, uh, like where we could push ahead on multiple fronts. But if we're only pushing ahead on one, it seems to be a little less sensible. Well, I've been thinking about this for like the past year, and it's actually been sort of something I've struggled with is because I know how important it is to work in public in a sense and just like make sure that you're not sort of working in a vacuum in isolation. Sometimes I almost feel like like I need permission to program without it being on a live stream or without me summarizing what I did and putting it into a blog post or something. Like I feel like, oh, anytime I write code that I'm not somehow turning into publicly available content, I'm sort of like missing an opportunity. And that's like a really stressful thing for me. So I'm kind of curious if you've ever thought about that sort of thing, Derek, because I kind of feel like that might be a problem that you would be running into too right now. 
I feel the same way. Like I have a certain amount of guilt around working and not sharing. And it's almost like the same thing I feel when I'm spiking something out and not writing tests for it. And then like questioning whether I'm actually, am I actually going to write the test right now? Or is I going to move on and get back to that later? I, I have varying degrees of guilt around a lot of those things. And this month has been tricky for me because right now I'm up against my deadline of having something deliverable by the end of October. And that means I've basically cut out almost all my sharing avenues and I'm just trying to like get to that as quickly as possible. But I'm also aware that like once you get out of the habit of regularly working in public, it might be difficult to get back to that. I'm kind of spoiled right now by being able to move really fast. So I don't know. It's, it's something I'm thinking about a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the the answer is there. I kind of think like what Ben has is a great situation <laughs> because there are people who can guiltlessly code and not worry about uh, the marketing stuff. I'm starting to really understand, I guess, the the advantage to having a partner on something that's focused on just keeping that sort of connection with the people who are interested um, in the product. You know, you think about like, okay, well, what two kinds of people make sense together uh, to like start a, a a software company together like maybe like a designer and a developer can work together and they can make a really awesome product but without someone doing like the marketing side like you're in a rough spot so it makes me really wish and hope for uh, the possibility that one day in the future i'll be able to again just work on code and have someone else that is excited about doing that stuff and can take care of that stuff uh, because that is th- that i've found has been like the the hardest thing about trying to be like a solo developer on something like when you know what's needed for it to succeed and uh, you don't really want to do it that way because it just like means you have to move slower and stuff like that. So, yeah, this is funny because just last week we had Brian on who was saying he was looking for someone to do the development so he could focus on front end stuff. Yeah. And marketing. <laughs> so I think we've solved your problem for both oh. of you. Okay, perfect. I'll send You're Brian welcome. an email. He's a Rails guy now, though. So, yeah, but yeah, you know, he's only a few months into it, though. I think. Yeah, sure, he could be pulled pulled into Laravel. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, do you see? Is there like a big Rails Laravel like battle going on? In, uh, in no, your, from your I perspective, don't, I don't see that. I think um, PHP as a language doesn't really like battle with anyone because I think people who write PHP. Um, don't write it because they've like chosen it as like this ultimate language. It's like they either started off building stuff with WordPress and like slowly over time accidentally became like a real backend developer. And this is the ecosystem that they know. So this is like where they stay because it's their comfort zone. Or you work at a company that just has a big PHP project. And that's why I think you see a lot of like PHP as a language like evolving and trying to add features from other languages and stuff because people sort of feel like afraid to leave their bubble or sort of trapped in it. Um, so we just try to pull things in from elsewhere. There's not a lot of like people arguing about, you know, why Rails is bad or something and PHP is better. Most people who write PHP just kind of accept that things are probably better in most other places. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So like, what have you been up to this week, Adam? I'm deep working on the refactoring UI kind of book package thing that uh, me and Steve Shoger have been working on for the last few months now. So he actually just took like a leave of absence from his like normal 
job duties because he was working for Titan Co. and for Taylor Artwell, kind of splitting his time doing design stuff for them. So he's put that on pause to just work full time on this, not taking a paycheck until the book is out. So that's been some good motivation to keep grinding on it and try and get, you know, a lot of progress going on there. Yeah, so I've been focusing on most of the writing and we actually collaborate basically all day. Like we basically have a Zoom call up all day long. So it's almost like we're in the same office. Half the time the call is silent, but we'll just ask each other for feedback on things and stuff like that. Um, so this week, I think I got three chapters done for the book so far. And the approach we're taking with the book is very inspired by like the Basecamp books where every chapter is like never more than two pages. And they're all sort of written to stand independently. So you can sort of flip to any page, read just that chapter in isolation and not feel like, oh, this doesn't make sense because I didn't read the hundred pages before it or whatever. And um, that's been pretty fun because I think it creates a more enjoyable reading experience because it's it's like you can pick up just a little piece here and there, or you can kind of sit through and just like blow through the whole thing um, really fast. But it also makes the writing a lot nicer because I can literally just look at our table of contents and just like pick off whichever unfinished chapter sounds interesting to me that day and just write it like a blog post and be done. I don't have to like tell a story from page one to page 200 or whatever. So yeah, I've been really enjoying that process. I got about 21 chapters done. We have about 45 planned, but that kind of goes up and down every week, depending on we realize, oh, we could collapse these or we have a new idea for something else. Steve has been working hard on, on a bunch of visual stuff. So The chapter approach, I like that a lot too. And I think it's A, a good match for like today's attention spans. Like Seth Godin said, he stopped writing books because people just like don't want to read books anymore. And that's why he's making like short podcast episodes. But also, I think it's, I was like thinking about this like a program kind of where it's like your chapters stand alone, like they don't have dependencies on each other, which makes each one into, like easy to write or easy to jump into and like not need context for. It's like this book is basically the node modules directory. <laughs> <laughs> there's your, uh, there's your subhead on your marketing site. Um, so it's like if you see a problem in the book, just like blow away the whole directory, yeah, just which will somehow take like eight seconds. <laughs> on an ssd <laughs> yeah yeah so it's 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 going pretty good though um one thing that we're sort of not struggling with but we've been sort of debating internally is like what do we even want to call it we're calling it like a book because that's what everyone's asking for but the book portion is like it's not like the dominant portion of the content so like there's this book but then there's also this component gallery that we're working on we're designing and building the whole thing as if it was going to be like printed as like a landscape coffee table book where you can just flip through it for inspiration and stuff. And it's going to be as big or bigger than the actual written book probably. And then there's like all this work we're putting into coming up with like recommended color palettes. Have you ever been to any one of those like color palette sites where you like hit space bar and it generates like five new swatches on the screen? Yes. And it's like green, red, orange, blue. Oh yeah, those are the colors I'm going to use to make my website. <laughs> it's like so unrealistic. You can't actually make a website with five color swatches. So we're trying to make something a little bit more practical where we've made this like little example UI that's kind of like a kitchen sink of all the things that might go into a web application, but sort of like dumbed down into like a more of a wireframey style. And then we're building these like really comprehensive color palettes and applying them to that. So you can see how the colors are meant to be used and you get like 10 shades of every color. So it's like actually useful. So you have like 
a blue button, but also the darker blue that you might use on hover or like a lighter blue that you might use for an alert background or something like that. Do you think there needs to be a, a better tool that will take like some core color, like say you have a, like a brand color that's a particular flavor of blue and then generate like other complementary colors that are within the same kind of hue same level of darkness or whatever like yeah i think there is a need for that because people ask me about it constantly like with the tailwind css color palette for example i get every week someone asks me what did you use to generate the colors it's like my eye and a mouse and it sucked but like the math behind color is actually more complicated than it first seems so i'm sure it could be done like you could come up with like ways to math it but it's not as straightforward like there's this tool that came out the other day called color box that lyft put out like lyft like the uber competitor that generates shades of color where you can specify like what bezier curve you want to use to go between two different values and stuff and it looks neat but when i actually start trying to do practical things with it it's i realized pretty fast that like uh, this is still like not quite nailing it like with colors like yellow, for example, you need to like rotate the hue as things get darker, but you don't need to do that with a color like blue because the perceived brightness of blue is already darker than yellow. And yellow, you can't actually make look dark without it looking like sewer brown. So you have to kind of make it more orange. I don't know. It's it's just a lot more complicated. So it'd be fun to try and really like come up with something that actually did it in a way that was awesome. But the more mature designers I've spoken to tend to steer a little bit away from trying to math mathematically compute everything, like even spacing, padding, like all those factors. It's kind of like, well, it's whatever really looks well, what works well visually and less about like, is this the exact number of pixels it should be or is this the exact, you know, distance in on the color spectrum? And I, th- I think it takes a lot of confidence in your skill set to be able to kind of let go of having some like mathematical support for your decisions. That's why I'm lucky to have a talented designer to work with, I guess, <laughs> because I want to math everything too. Right. <laughs> uh, colors are so weird. There's I have one anecdote too that I just bumped up against today. I was, I was styling this button and I have like a turquoise for level. That's like the, the brand color. And I was using that, but when I use, when I apply it to the border, of a button and also to the text, the text looks quite a bit lighter than the border because yeah. of the way fonts render. Yeah. So then it's awesome. You know, I'm so glad to hear you say that because we actually have a chapter in the book specifically about it's kind of like the the surface area of something that you're coloring has an impact on like your perceived brightness or darkness of it. Uh, which is why like bold fonts look darker, you know, than thin fonts sort of thing. And that applies to things like borders and icon weights and everything, not just like text. So I, I definitely want to check out your guys's uh, book collection, whatever you call it, uh, when it's done. Cause, um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess that kind of gets me back to what I was talking about originally, which was just like the struggle to figure out what we even want to call it. Right. Because I, right now it's like refactoringui.com slash book. I don't really love that we're calling it a book because I think it kind of devalues the other components that we're putting so much effort into making really valuable resources. So in my head, I'm sort of thinking of it as like a design survival kit for developers, but I don't know what to, what to call it in terms of like, how do we market it? You know what I mean? Because books have a, like a shelf price that people expect to pay for them. And 
for us to be able to make something like this and have it be like worth our while, we can't charge like the $15 Amazon book price for it, right? I mean, the whole pricing thing is a whole other discussion. I'm trying to decide if I feel comfortable opening up that can of worms on a public podcast. Maybe yeah. I think I think That's I do. It's just us guys listening. There's no one else. <laughs> but like originally we were thinking of like doing three tiers or something and then we started leaning towards doing two tiers where like the first tier is just the book and then um what we're calling this like assets and resources component where Steve has created this really nice like custom icon set, this SVG icon set that you're only going to be able to get by like buying this book. And normally like those sorts of like icon sets you might pay 50 bucks for anyways. So that helps like kind of justify a, a, a more expensive price for that tier. But you'd get like the icons, the color palettes, and then like a bunch of like font pairing recommendations too. So the idea is just like stuff that will help you not get stuck on that like blank canvas problem, which I think is a big problem for people who aren't great designers. Like even like me, I'm so much better at editing a design than I am at creating a design, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we were thinking of doing two tiers where it was just like that tier at some price at launch, probably between like 60 and 80 bucks. And then the other tier, which includes a bunch of videos that Steve is making and this big, huge component gallery thing. And that was probably going to be like 150 bucks or something. But because like the whole thing is seen as like a book, we're like starting to worry that people are going to buy the book tier instead of the whole thing because they're not looking at it right. You know what I mean? Like they're looking at it as a book plus bonuses instead of like this like ultimate survival kit for developers who need to design their own stuff. So that's almost pushing us now to think, well, maybe do we just do the one tier, the one more expensive tier, but then how do we deal with like the people who are going to be like $150 for a book? Are you out of your mind? You know what I mean? Even though that's not what it is. It's tricky because as soon as any package of anything contains a book, it feels like the book is what defines it. Hmm. And uh, I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot. Just don't write the book. Problem solved. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, (laughs) <laughs> maybe there's a way to to package it not as a book but i don't know if that's the ultimate way to do it either actually like um, a, like maybe a slightly tangential question but are you plan- planning on doing any kind of printed copy of this or is it going to be digital yeah we want to but we have sort of decided it's not realistic to have that ready for launch and at the same time no matter how much like fine-tuning and editing we do I'm sure people are going to be emailing, oh, there's a little like typo here or grammatical error here. Um, So if we can get the digital copy out there for a couple of months at least, then we can sort of iterate on a couple things based on feedback. And then hopefully early in the new year, we can do like a physical thing. Because originally we were just thinking of doing like a physical version of like the book itself, but I'm pushing Steve now to do like a physical copy of the component gallery too and like be able to ship it as like you get like the book and then this like coffee table book and then maybe a poster of like the font pairings, like, like basically a physical version of the whole thing. Um, but I don't, I don't even know the first thing about how you would even get all that stuff done. Like find some company that will print all that for you and ship it for us. Cause I don't want like a big box of that stuff showing up at my house that I have to then <laughs> <laughs> stick in labels. Yeah. There's a missing word and I don't know, maybe I just can't think of it on the spot, but there's like some way to describe this. I don't know if it's like a suite of products. I mean, it's not a course, I suppose, because it's not, it's not laid out that way. It's a resource, but 
Ah, survival kit's pretty good. Yeah, toolkit popped in my head too. Although I think survival kit's kind of even better. It has a little bit more emotion attached to it. Right, <laughs> sounds like a necessity. And I think sure. it tells you more. It's got more nuance to it, where it's like we're you're positioning it with that with that word by saying like we know you're a developer trying to get by, basically. Like you're you're hanging in there, and we're going to help you hang. Yeah, I kind of like it. I just think, think we'd have to figure out how to. Uh, I don't think we can like sell it as like the refactoring UI survival kit. I think that can be like subtext or something that's kind of used to like explain it. But I think just calling it that is confusing, or just like people don't know what that. What what am I looking at? You know what I mean? But I don't know. It's a it's a tricky thing figuring out pricing and products and whatever well i every time i see you post anything related to this people post that fry meme of shut up and take my money <laughs> yeah so like and i've never seen like like every time and like multiple people so i feel like you probably can't really mess this up too badly we probably can't mess it up too badly but i would like to mess it up minimally so of course yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i would yeah. say that's your style in general so we're gonna try what do you think about um with the physical thing something also we've been trying to figure out is like we don't want to say oh a physical thing is coming in the new year and then have people like oh i'm gonna wait until that comes out to purchase it and sort of thing because we can't update the physical thing so that kind of is a bummer anyways like the physical thing is going to be kind of like the collector's edition that's almost like what i was thinking of it as in my head you know what i mean like if you want the physical thing comes in like this artisan crafted box that like steve whittled in his garage or something you know what i mean but i'm trying to figure out like how do we how do we make something like that available to the people who buy it on day one like just like ask them to give us more money again if they want the physical one kind of seems sucky but it also seems i don't really like the idea of like pre-selling the physical thing when we haven't really got a full plan for it either so right because you won't know what costs are involved and whatnot yeah yeah Mm like part of me wants to just say like we're gonna get these physical ones made and if you've already bought it like you can buy that stuff at cost essentially right because i we don't the margins on physical stuff are going to be terrible compared to digital anyways so it's really like we just want it to exist because it's cool for it to exist not because we want to make a bunch of extra money off of the physical thing yeah i mean i would suppose you would you would just charge your price for whatever it is and everyone would get the digital but then if you want to pay extra for the physical, that could be somewhere close to cost so that and it could just be that way all the time. I asked about the physical because I got a few programming books when I was learning some Elixir stuff that was new to me and I had to go lower level. And a couple of them took like a week to to ship. So I was working with the digital copy and I just detest now this is particularly programming books, but I really detest trying to use a programming book digitally because I feel like a lot of times I'm not running through sequentially. Like there's there's probably a lot of stuff that like, yeah, okay, I know that part. So I just want to flip a few pages and jump back through and then drop a bookmark in and and then keep looking like away from my screen onto a physical thing. And like that flow for me is just so much better than like trying to have like a PDF, like a up PDF open. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Have you looked at um like Martin Fowler just did like the second version of the refactoring book or whatever, where it's all been redone in JavaScript he's really emphasizing the digital version which i haven't actually even looked at so i kind of want to check it out but it's not like a pdf it's like a web portal and i kind of think like there's some interesting opportunity there to like create a really good experience that's actually like can do more than a book can do you know 
that was my my thought when you were saying like what if it's not a book it's like what if it's an online catalog or something and we're going to build that for sure we wanted to have it ready for launch but i don't think it's going to be realistic like we could just wait but it just seems kind of stupid to like have all the content done and be like oh we can't sell it to you yet because adam has to spend three weeks building this stupid website you know what i mean um and the timing is also kind of crappy right now because if we really hustle and bust our asses on this, we're going to have it done like last day of November sort of thing. And that's like right around the limit for where I feel comfortable releasing it this year because I don't really love doing a, I mean, I don't have the evidence to show that this is a bad idea, but like launching something two weeks before Christmas just sounds like a bad idea. So I think we'll do that after the fact the thing i don't love about like just making it like a web portal only thing with like a bunch of articles in it is that because the articles are like intentionally short it feels a lot shorter in a browser than it does in a book which i don't know what other people will think about that like i don't want people to feel ripped off just because like some cursory glance makes them feel like they didn't get a lot of content even though if they printed it out on paper they would be like oh this is like 140 pages or 180 pages and yeah i can get through the whole thing in like two and a half hours which to me is like a feature but it feels like it should feel substantial i don't know tricky product decisions even for just something like an info product (laughs) it's uh complicated i want to give you props on the tailwind doc site because I, I have that open basically all day I'm working and I'll usually consult <laughs> it about three times a day. It's getting less and less now that I'm memorizing more and more of the things. But Oh no, my carbon ad revenue is going to drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are there ads on that site? I don't even see them. Yep. Yeah, of course huh. you don't see them. You're a programmer. You don't see <laughs> yeah. ads on any website. <laughs> yeah, there are ads. Just like the, the search bar at the top and I can pretty much always find what I'm looking for. Like uh, line height what was the thing again for that and I just type a few characters and it's always just right there and I can jump right to it and I seem to be able to get to my answers really quickly and I could see like if people are using this refactoring UI book as like a reference and they're like wait I, I need to style this thing and I need to consult like how do I what's the best way to approach this that I could see having like a nice search box to jump right to it would be really nice too which is a in favor of the digital medium as opposed to the physical yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what what we can do with the the digital kind of medium. I definitely think like a PDF, that's fine for day one. That's not the ultimate digital format though, for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially as you integrate the like refactorings with your catalog of like examples, like you can like cross-linking between those things could be really interesting. So actually here's, that makes me think of a related idea that we've been tossing around that is probably going to be like a next year thing. But we were trying to think like with info products, the biggest struggle is just like having sales that last, you know what I mean? That don't just die off after the first two months and then the product just kind of rots. Um, So we're trying to think of like, okay, well, what can we do to kind of keep it alive? Like the first thing is by making it like a web portal, we can always be adding new stuff to the component gallery and kind of posting on Twitter. Hey, we're adding like these new things and that'll keep things alive. But I was also trying to think of like a more traditional like funnel for it, I guess. And I had this idea to do like a design smells email course and just like really double down on like the programmer terminology for everything. Mm -hmm. Cause Mm -hmm. we've actually been finding with the book, like there's some ideas that we're having a hard time fitting in because they're not like, here's things that you should do to make things look good. It's more like you're probably doing this dumb thing that's making your design look bad. 
and it, and it's hard to figure out where to fit some of that stuff. So I don't know. What do you think of that idea? Sounds awesome. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Especially since a lot of people who are not, who are maybe don't know much about design are, are starting from a place of they're making the same common mistakes that a lot of people are making. So to see it from the kind of the negative perspective of like, don't do this, you know, like I think that could yeah. be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like the doubling down of the, like the niching too. Yeah. It just makes it sound more for me. Cool. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly. But it's, since it's only a book, I'm only going to pay you $19. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Under, understandable. That's basically what's going on with me. I think uh, we need an update from Derek. We do. Although one thing, one last thing I want to ask you before uh, we move on is you said that you're spending like the whole day with a Zoom call going with Steve. Is that giving you that like I'm working with someone interaction that you have been wanting? It does help. I do think that we have pushed it like past a useful threshold a couple days. Like there's definitely times where I feel like, you know what, I really just want to like end this call and just like write this chapter without and hearing any other noises like from some other context or anything like that. So um, we've been balancing that like a bit more. It is kind of tricky too, because like we have done like a bunch of writing on calls, but a lot of the time we just end up trying to like figure stuff out for maybe longer than we should be. You know what I mean? Like looking at a sketch thing and being like, Oh, how can we make this example a little bit better or whatever? And then two hours go by and we haven't actually done anything new. We've just kind of been like talking through stuff and it's productive, but it's not like measurable. Sometimes I, I wonder like, are we not really being as productive as we could be? Like, does it feel like work, but because there's no like actual produced artifact from it, like, am I just lying to myself when I say that was like a really important discussion and we made some important decisions or was it kind of like masturbatory in some sense, you know, you know, what it might be worth trying. I kind of fell into this rhythm at drip when we had an office pre-acquisition and we would all come into it like two or three days a week. And I found some weeks I went in every day, like if we were building something and we wanted to be in the same room. But after doing that for a period of time, it just felt like too much. And we would have too many of those conversations where like that went a little longer than it needed to, or we ended up just kind of lacking focus time going the complete opposite where we were never in the same room together also felt like now we haven't had any of that space to have those free forum conversations where good ideas emerge. So like, I feel like there's a balance between the two. So maybe like, maybe you guys try a couple days a week, like not having the zoom call or something like that. And you know, yeah, yeah, maybe. I'll have to try it out. So I think we're getting a little bit better with the balance, but I want to try working in the same room too, because we actually live half an hour away from each other, like within a commute's drive for sure. Both of us have little kids at home and stuff. So we'd have to probably find somewhere that's not a house for it to really work well. And that's, it's, I don't know. We'll see, but it's been nice working with another person on a project in general. I can definitely say that, um, to have someone to bounce ideas off of and stuff. I think the the thing is turning out a lot better than it would have been if it was just either of us trying to do it by ourselves. Yeah. All right, Mr. Derek. All right. Well, so I don't have that interesting of an update because I've really just been like building, building, building. I have been spending a few days on a task that's taking longer than I would have liked, but is kind of key and it's getting file uploads working. Because I knew that if I didn't have that when I first shipped it, I knew that was going to be probably something 
important in the near term. Like I kind of take for granted the ability to like on GitHub, just drop a like drag and drop something on there and upload a, an image or something like that. So I wanted to make sure that was in place, but digging into like, how do I get Elm to interact well with dragging and dropping files and shipping the bits up to the server and, you know, showing a little progress bar on uploads and all that kind of stuff, which has been more involved than I would have liked, but also like I browsers have come such a long way in the last couple of years. I feel like even now when I consult the docs on MDN or whatever, and like looking at just a few years ago, like browser support was terrible for most of the stuff that I'm working with now. And I'm sort of not worrying too much about like older versions of IE or anything like that. I think yeah, like probably even IE 11 you can ignore. Yeah. 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 That's kind of what I'm doing. Cause I'm assuming in my, at least my earliest cohorts of users, we're all going to be using modern browsers probably not even edge honestly yeah, but right yeah. right yeah i feel like i'm writing more plumbing than i than i would if i were in like the rails sweet spot of using you know server rendered stuff and dropping in front end plugins to handle all these things but i also feel like it's it's nice to get a full understanding of end to end what's happening when like when a file gets dropped here's what's happening on the javascript side and here's how to you know render a preview of what was dropped in there and, and intercept that event. And I can kind of really hone and craft the experience of what it looks like. And I think if I were using plugins to do that, it would be more of a black box and I wouldn't kind of understand what's going on and more opportunities for bugs to creep in and stuff. So yeah, so that's what I've been on for the last few days. And then aside from that, there's there's really only a few categories of major things that that I want to get done this month before opening it up to some alpha users. There's a few that are like questionable. I know I'm going to need search relatively soon, but do I need that for my alpha period? I don't know. And there's a few others like that, but I'm feeling pretty positive overall. Nice. Yeah. So do you have like a pretty uh, clear view of what product you plan to have people be able to use at the end of the month now? I think so. Yeah. It's coming into focus every day that things like like dropping a file on and once that starts working and every day it's kind of getting clearer and clearer and feeling more like a real product which I'm I'm really happy about cuz for the longest time it just kind of felt like I knew how to work my way around it and and get stuff done but when I showed it to anybody I was like oh yeah that doesn't work yet oh yeah that doesn't work and so more and more things are kind of starting to work <laughs> which is a good feeling but yeah and I'm also been trying to relentlessly cut scope as much as possible um which is really hard. And I think oftentimes it's kind of harder to, to even do that than just spend the time to build the things. But I'm trying to, trying to be very Basecamp-esque and hold true to my October deadline. Hmm. How do you feel about the product that is emerging? It feels good, yeah. I still have concerns that like, is it going to be enough? You know, I try not to think too much about that because it's impossible for me to know until I actually start getting real people, real teams using it. I can kind of try to simulate what I how I think a team would use it, but until I actually get real people doing it, it's just like impossible to know. So I'm trying not to fixate on that too much and just stick to my core principles of how I think the product should treat the ability to achieve focus and not be interrupted in those kind of those fundamental things. And then from there, just gonna have to rely on on user feedback to see if I've nailed it or if I need to kind of adjust. Do you have any uh, plans for like how you want to launch 
like the alpha like is it going to be it's gonna be invite only i assume probably for like the first period yeah i've had there's probably like 15 or 20 folks who have been pursuing me about like wanting to try it out like expressing eagerness to do that and i think a lot of those folks are probably also they understand like alpha level software it's not going to have everything so i think i think they're going to be the right type of users to see the important things and not complain about the things that are that are not yet polished yet i haven't like sat down to actually compile that list but i have a list of names in my head right now that i will be uh reaching out to it's going to be an interesting time. I know. It's going to be it's going to be a big milestone. I think it'll feel really good to get it into the hands of some real users. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're getting long, so we should probably wrap it up. Cool. Cool. Anything else you want to say, Mr. Wathen? You have the floor. Uh, not really. No. I think I'm uh think I'm good. If if anyone is uh not up to anything next week, I'm going to be giving a talk at Laracon Australia in Sydney. So if you're just like hanging around and bored, <laughs> maybe just fly over to Australia. And come check that out. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Again, the same talk I gave at Laracon earlier this year, which was, I called it Resisting Complexity, which is really just a catch-all talk title that could really be anything. And <laughs> what it ended up being about was like how I think a lot of people misunderstand object orientation and put kind of methods on the wrong objects and stuff like that and strategies for avoiding noun verber classes and how a lot of the times we make objects for things that really should just be functions <laughs> so yeah it's uh should be pretty cool there'll be a video of that up uh from the u.s version uh after the australian one is done i didn't want to have that go out online and then have the people who are looking forward to the talk in australia watching in advance and then not care when i actually give it in front of them so right yeah yeah and make you make another talk <laughs> yeah i can't do that i'm yeah. sick of making up a brand new talk for every conference man mm, it's a lot of yeah. work i gave up that idea yeah I, I repeat now yeah i think that's the way to do it or to just only speak once a year something <laughs> like that also good yeah all righty uh derek show notes show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com awesome thanks for listening